This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Hi, this is Dan. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to let you know about my new book, Zero G. This is an audio exclusive for the first year, at least. And uh, it's a middle-grade science fiction that it's basically home alone in space. Big colony ship is headed to another star. Everyone's in hypersleep. Twelve-year-old boy wakes up and has to save the ship from pirates. It's awesome, and you will love it. Look it up on Audible. And now we'll get into our episode. Season 13, Episode 49. This is Writing Excuses How to Finish. Fifteen minutes... Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mayor. <laughs> what? Who are you? She's not finishing. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She I, hasn't learned it yet because she hasn't listened to the podcast. That's exactly right. Uh, and who I, are you? I'm, I'm Amal. Uh, I'm Maurice. <laughs> I was going to try and do the same joke, but it wasn't going to work. Right. <laughs> I'm Am. <laughs> right. No, you're right. That doesn't work. No. So... Finishing. We're in our last month of this season, and we're going to talk about endings for characters. Um, so how do you know when you are done with a character arc? How do you know when a character is finished for you? Can't you just keep killing them off? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, last week we did talk about plot armor and character death, so, so we, we will we hold off a lot of characters <laughs> already this, this month. All right, so this is the point and in the season when and we, we've gotten through most of the season so far without me talking in great length about the mice quotient. Only little bits here and right. there, yes. But this is this is one of the things that it's it's actually really good at. Um, so the mice quotient is mostly an organizational principle, but one of the things that it's very good at is defining the frame of a story where a story begins and ends. So a a character story begins when a character is dissatisfied with an aspect of self, and it ends when that aspect solidifies, when their their self-definition solidifies. Mm -hmm. And that can either solidify with them being happy, or it can solidify with them being dissatisfied. Mm -hmm. Um, So in a previous episode, I talked about how you can have something that ends in a positive or negative state. So for me, the thing that, that helps me identify when the character story has ended is when I have gotten them to a point in, in this, this overarching uh, plot arc where uh, they come to a place where it's like, okay, this is who I am. Hmm. Um, that is generally for me when a character story is over. This is who I am, and that they are not no longer attempting to change who they are. I think for me, I tend to, and again, this comes out of the fact that I, I write short stories. I feel like a, a character's story has ended when I've closed a circle. Mm. Um, and, and again, because I write short stories, the, I, I find that I tend to approach stories more from an idea of structure than an idea of character. Uh, and the, the, those things are obviously related all the time. But in terms of just where the story is, is going, when it's going to stop, um, usually there's there's some kind of circle closing. And, and by closing, it doesn't have to like close neatly. It can be a spiral. It can be um, it, it can be a circle with a line leading out of it, you know. Um, but I usually want there to be some 
the, the change that you talk about mm-hmm. where um, that, that shift of character, usually I want to see that uh, manifest in recalling what the initial state was yeah. and, and making that change evident. So when there's a spot where you see that, that's usually the, the end point for me. And you, you say that as a short story thing. That's what I, that's what I do with novels. Yeah. Even, oh, even 450,000 word ones, that's what mm-hmm. I'm looking for is that mm-hmm. circle mm-hmm. sort of close. And um, bringing it back to what the character desired, mm-hmm. why they couldn't have it, yeah. and at the end either deciding they don't want it or being okay that they don't have it, or obtaining it. Those are all three valid choices for closing that circle yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah, Right, and that's, a, uh, that, oops, and that's what I was going to say, is that you know, it comes back to you know, your original characters, motivations, their goal, what were they trying to accomplish, and then resolving that. And, and that resolution can, can take a, a number of different forms. You know, but the, cl- the key for me is always, like again, like you said, to close that loop, because mm-hmm. something has to happen with that goal. That was the whole point of the story. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah. once in a while, do you just not close this loop? Is it ever, do you just like, I'm, I'm not going to give this character a resolution. It's a very, very literary, modernist literary idea to just not even have a loop. Have you ever done that? Yes, sort of, except that, uh, so this is funny, the novel that I am very, very, very solely writing on, uh, writing on? Writing. Mm-hmm. Writing on. Um, is, uh, is actually a continuation of a short story that I uh, that I wrote years ago that was my, my first Nebula nomination was for a story called The Green Book. Um, and that was, we talked about unreliable narrators uh, last time. That was a story where uh, most of it is taking place as a, a dialogue between a, a consciousness trapped in a book uh, and someone who's writing in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story in the short story is framed by the fact that this is not the actual book. This is a copy of the text of that appeared in that book, um, and this is only pieces of it that were found. So somewhere in the world, there does in fact exist this consciousness trapped in the book, but you're not seeing that. You're seeing someone's transcription of what happened um, and, and there's like several layers of this frame. So the, the topmost layer is the like a, a publisher's colophon almost. It's, it's in an archive. It's describing the material. The next level is the person who was transcribing is writing a letter trying to give this transcription to someone else. And then you have the, 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 the actual core of the story, which is the text that's in the book. Uh, and that text ends in a way that refers back to the frame but doesn't actually close a circle it leaves it leaves something very open ended which i want to explore in the novel uh so but but in terms of the character beats i think that it's it it stops at the right place it stops at a place where the person trans this is going to be so convoluted to listen to but basically um the the guy transcribing it suddenly goes from being secure to being in a place of threat uh and and that is a the the spot that i ended on this is really dangerous, I think, um, kind of ending without closing that loop. Um, I remember once watching a kind of um, a Hollywood director talking about the good ending and the bad, or the market-friendly ending and the non-market-friendly mm-hmm. ending to a movie, and I was surprised that the market-friendly ending had the character dying. I'm like, that's not what I would assume. Huh. But as they talked about it, I realized that the character dying was them fulfilling, like they were dying in a heroic way, fulfilling their arc. And the other one, they just kind of walked off huh. and didn't fulfill their arc. 
Um, and really, it's it's not the life death thing. Mm-hmm. It is that closing the loop or not yeah. uh, being market friendly or not. And once in a while, you can you can really be dangerous and be like, I'm just stopping this character because they died halfway through. But boy, is that dangerous because it's that whole broken promise thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. well, the thing I, when, when you say that, the thing that always comes to mind for me is is the show Lost. Ah. <laughs> and see, there we go. <laughs> because, you know, and, and I've thought both ways about, about that ending. Like, does that ending work? No, yes. Wait, no, it doesn't. The part that doesn't work for me is that, you know, in, in closing their loop, well, they don't close the loop in, mm-hmm. in some ways because, like, I have all these unanswered questions mm-hmm. and you're done. What but, about the polar bear? Right. But what, they, what, what, I've, what I did pick up was, like, you know, the, the, the loop they did close was the emotional arc of your characters. Mm-hmm. And, and so they did that. And that part of it, if, if, people, if that's what people were invested in, if they were invested in the journey of those characters, that loop was closed for them and they were pleased with the ending. See, I thought you were going to go the place. Lost also has this thing where several of the characters exited, like, second season. Mm-hmm. And so they just killed them off or left their arcs completely half done yeah, right. and it was so frustrating to right. me as a watcher it's not, they couldn't really do anything because the actress was just like we're leaving mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but that happens in shows right. too often mm-hmm. yeah so I think one of the things that, that will also happen to writers is that we a lot of times we, we will pick up storytelling techniques from film or television mm-hmm. that don't necessarily work in our medium or, or that are an artifact of the, the medium that, uh, you know, of, of television, like this character left. And so now we just ignoring them and just moving on as if they never existed. <laughs> One of the things that, uh, that I was thinking about when, when Maurice was talking about uh, promises and things like that was letting the reader kind of know what the design state of the story is. Um, I have a novella, uh, Forest of Memory, which uh, is from Tor.com. And at the end of it, there's a ton of questions that I don't answer, and my character doesn't know the answer to them. And making it clear to readers that that was a design state, that you were not going to get the answers, and that my character was going to be left with all of these questions and not, mm-hmm. and, and that this was going to be unresolved, making that clear to, to readers... Uh, before we got to that point without making it obvious that that's where we were going was a really tricky mm. thing to do. And it involved a certain amount of um, of hanging flags on it, like, I didn't, you know, and I will, I will never know the answer to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also involved um, doing some uh, thematic uh, miniature versions of that earlier in the story where uh, where something, you know, like, he asked. He asked for a, for a dictionary, and she never finds out why. Hmm. You know, so it's it's stuff like that. Making sure that I'm I'm doing kind of miniature thematic versions of it, so that that you understand that this is the kind of ride that you're on. That there are just going to be things that my character n- never gets resolved. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week, which is... Kind of interesting because we're not sure if it's out yet. (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, will we close the circle or not? It is called, um, the working title is called This is How You Lose the Time War. Uh, and this is the uh, co-written novella between that Max Gladstone and I uh, wrote together that I've mentioned a few times uh, over the course of, of the, the, the season. Um, and uh, it it was amazing fun to write. It's it's an epistolary spy versus spy novella across time and space. So there is a time war. Uh, it is a time war between two possible realities, and they are both very unstable. Uh, in like in the, they're both very unstable. And in order to try and make sure that they become a stable reality, they have to go, as they say, up thread, uh, up the braid of time and space with uh, agents that they send from their respective sides to try and bump history into the correct grooves. That sounds awesome. Right? It, it, it's so much fun. And the uh, the thing is that they it, like it sounds huge and, and epic, and it is, but it's also letters being written back and forth between two agents, red and blue, each one representing one side of the time war, that starts out as this snarky gotcha correspondence as they foil each other's plans and that then grows into something more and dangerous to very to, very dangerous to both of them. Um, so it is, I, I am literally just about one week from knowing who is publishing it and when. <laughs> and hopefully we'll have that all in the liner notes. Yes, yes. exactly. Um, but at the moment, it does exist in this inchoate, unclosed circle space. Uh, but it is so... I, I love this story so much, and I especially love the way that Max and I wrote it, which was over the period of roughly two weeks at a writing retreat, where we literally sat across from each other uh, in a gazebo and and just swapped laptops back and forth to see what we were doing. And the great thing about this was that Max writes roughly four times as fast as I do, uh, which made it really awkward at first as one of us would write the letter and the other person would write the situation in which the letter was being received. Uh, And Max would be done and basically have to twiddle his thumbs while I agonized and and wrote stuff. But as we went on, uh, he slowed down and I sped up so that by the time we hit the second act, we were just, it was like a a dance. It was choreography. We're just swapping laps tops going, oh my God, that's amazing, swapping them back and continuing. Um, and, uh, and I love that. We have very different voices and that plays into the, uh, the two very different characters. Sounds super, super cool. Yeah. I'm very excited to read it. Hooray. Thank you. Um, let's go ahead and talk briefly about happy endings versus unhappy endings for Ooh. characters. Uh, have you ever done an unhappy ending? What do you consider an unhappy ending? Yep. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I have. In fact, uh, it's the uh, the story that I talked about uh, last week, um, which is the Worshipful Society of Glovers on Uncanny. Uh, that has an unhappy ending, and it's um, it's it's an interesting thing to pull off uh, because my character actually achieves his goal and then realizes that his goal is a terrible a- achieving his goal was a terrible idea. Mm. Um, and the, like, I tend to prefer a happy ending. Happy endings are, you know, I just said it's a tricky thing to pull off, but actually I find that happy endings are much easier to write, uh, excuse me, much harder to write than tragic endings. Hmm. Uh, Hmm. tragic endings, you just make things continue to get worse and then they don't have to solve it. Hmm. But in a happy ending, you're making things continually worse, and then they have to solve all of the problems. <laughs> and that's not easy. Like, it's really not easy. 
Yeah, I'm, you know, despite coming up as a horror writer, I, I'm a, I love happy endings. <laughs> so I tend to write happy endings, especially for my novel-length works. Um, and I think part of my mentality is like, well, if the, if the reader's invested this much time, yes. I don't want to like pull the rug for, out from under them <laughs> in, in, in the end. Now, in a short story, on the other hand, you never know what you're going to get. And I, I noticed in my uh, in my short story collection, except for the first story, all those stories have horrible endings. I mean, you, I mean, I'm. I'm amazed when people make it through the like go through the whole collection, <laughs> get, get <laughs> past the first third. It gets happier um, because, and part of it is this: in a short story, because there's that lesser investment, I feel more open. The myths are off, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I also think that in a short story, the readers are more willing to let you imply things, so you don't actually have to hit the "this is a tragic ending" or a, a happy ending as hard mm-hmm. uh, and you don't have to spend as much time in it. You can kind of get to it and the reader can go, oh, I see. I see how bad this is going to be. And in a novel, you have to get to it and be like, and now we're going to dwell in this badness mm-hmm. for a little while. Right. Well, and, you know, there is a difference between unhappy and unsatisfying. You can yes. have satisfying happy oh, yeah. and unsatisfying happy. And, mm-hmm. and um, there is that. And there, there's also this, this idea that you – particularly in a novel, can be bittersweet, but mm-hmm. even in a, a short story. And that's what you'll often do is parts of it are happy, parts of it are sad. The character got what they wanted, but they sacrificed something they didn't expect they'd have to sacrifice yeah. or something like this. And so you have the there's, – there's an entire spectrum right. here between happy and unhappy and satisfying and unsatisfying, which are – yeah. yeah. And, and, and there's times when it's just mean, though. Hmm. And, yeah. and, and, and my, my go-to example for that is actually the, uh, Stephen King's The, the Mist. Mm-hmm. The, the movie version, because um, in the in the, the original novella, it's kind of an open ending, and you don't know, you know, you know, the, after you, the, the, your protagonist, they've gone through this heroin experience, and then they escape, and they're like, and then we're just going to drive off into the mist. We don't know what's going to happen. The movie decides they're going to answer what happens mm-hmm. to them, and after you've spent you know hour and a half, almost two hours with these characters. In their struggle, you know, watching them fight for this and this and they finally make it out and they're driving into the mist. And they do have that part where they drive off into the mist. And I, at that moment, I start packing up my stuff. <laughs> I'm like, well, this is where the story ends. And then the camera's still going. I'm like, well, what are they doing? And then this horrific thing happens where it's like, and now everything you just cared about is now moot. And don't they just kick you when you're down on that one too? Because right. then they show someone else who just got out by just wandering off in right. the mist and right. they're fine. Right. And oh, was, man, that is a was, mean it was, ending. I, and I said it wasn't even a, an unhappy ending. Mm-hmm. That was a mean ending. Yeah. 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 And speaking of endings. <gasps> no. Yeah. Oh. We really want to thank our guest hosts this year. Yeah. We want to thank Mal and Maurice um, you guys have been awesome and wonderful. You guys have been awesome right. and wonderful. <laughs> uh, do either of you or both of you have a writing prompt to end the season on that you can give these uh, these aspiring writers that are listening? Mm. I kept I kept trying to think about this. All right, you're about to cut into a cake, and it speaks. Ooh. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> this has been Writing Excuses. You guys are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragon Steel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. 
This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.